Welcome to the Heights Sermon Series Podcast, where each week you'll hear a new message that'll help you with your life shaped by the Word. Hey, Heights family. I sure hope you had a wonderful July 4th week. Our family certainly had a memorable one as our son, Colin, and his bride, Alexi, were married yesterday in her hometown of Duluth, Minnesota. We're so excited for them and so proud of them. Karen and I are on our way home right now. And while we miss being there with you, I'm so excited for you to hear Joel Egelus this morning. Joel and his wife, Sarah, and their two sons have been members of our church family since 2015. But more recently here, Joel has joined our staff in a volunteer pastoral role after we ordained him into the gospel ministry. Joel received a master's in systematic theology from Liberty. And over this last year, he finished the church planting assessment with the SEND Network, which is a partnership between the North American Mission Board, or NAM, and the SBC of Virginia. That means that NAM and the SBCV will be sending our church monies over the next several years to provide a small salary for Joel to begin his work in Hispanic ministries and even a budget to do that work. How how exciting is this? We're working on ways right now to very soon start providing Spanish translation in our services and then from that create Spanish-speaking life groups. From that foundation, we pray the ministry and the opportunities will grow. So as Joel comes to preach today on the next commandment in our series, I wanted to be able to share with you what's going on in his life and in our church. So welcome, Joel, now, and I will see you next Sunday. Buenos dias, Iglesia. Good morning, church. So my name is Joel Aguilus. I serve as your Hispanic ministry pastor. Now, I realize a lot of you may know know me, so let me share a little bit about myself. Um, I was born in Lima, Peru, in South America. I lived there until I was 12. At that point, we moved to Miami, Florida. And that's where I came to know the Lord when I was 16. Uh, My wife, Sarah, is from Guatemala. She also grew up in Miami. we have, uh, we've been married for 14 years. That was a close one. Uh, <laughs> we have two boys. Joshua is 13 and Joab is 11. Uh, we moved to this area April 2015. And we joined the church pretty soon after, within a couple weeks. I've served here as a life group teacher and as a deacon until I was ordained to ministry in 2020. Now, some of you may remember that this is not our first attempt um, at Spanish ministry. We started a life group in Spanish back in 2019. Unfortunately, that group kind of died out right before COVID. And so I spent most of 2021 training with NAM and the SBCV through the SEND network and just completed my assessment back in May to get their vote of confidence. So like Pastor Randy mentioned, we're going to be offering Spanish translation during our second service, pretty soon. We don't have a date yet, so we'll follow up with an actual solid announcement. But that's very exciting. Um, Now, of course, that's intended to be a short-term solution. Our vision, our goal, is to have a Spanish service at the Heights, and that would be great. Now, of course, the goal, the end goal is is not a service in itself. Our, Our goal, our focus, is to make disciples that can, in turn, Disciple others. 
So as we continue to pursue our vision as a church to be the, the church our communities cannot imagine being without, um, ministering to a growing Spanish-speaking communities is just part of that, right? And so I hope you're as excited as we are about this, and we ask for your prayers. Uh, please pray for the Lord's wisdom and guidance, and that he will bless our work. All righty, now it has, be, uh, it has become our tradition throughout this series. Uh, we're going to begin by reading the Ten Commandments from Exodus chapter 20. So if you have your Bibles, please go with me to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus is the second book of the Bible. So Exodus chapter 20, we'll read verses through, uh, 1 through 17. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments." You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes the name, his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. Verse 14 is what we'll spend our morning. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear, bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not cover your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. Uh, pray with me, please. Father, we thank you for this morning. And Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would move here today. Lord, please speak through me. Don't allow me to get in the way of what you have for your church this morning. Amen. Amen. So today we're going to focus on the seventh commandment. You shall not commit adultery. Of course, um, my first time teaching the congregation, Randy thought it would be good to give me adultery. So that, that's. <laughs> so just, just bear with me, please. Now, some of you may remember a few years back, there was a big scandal uh, regarding a website whose whole purpose uh, was to set up extramarital affairs. Right? And the scandal was not due to its mission. The scandal was due to a leak of user data. Right, over 30 million profiles uh, were published, which is insane that 30 million people were using that site. Right? What's really interesting, though, is that the information leaked also included demographic information. And in the U.S., the majority of users, 70%, identified as Christians. Within that, 30% of them said they pray regularly. It's, it's really heartbreaking, and it's so sad. Um, 
how those actions drag the name of Christ through the mud. And the damage it does to the testimony of the church, the bride of Christ. Now, what is adultery? Well, adultery is typically defined as sexual intercourse between a married individual and someone else other than their spouse. From the Ten Commandments, this is perhaps the one that most of us will struggle the most while on this earth. Especially, especially as we understand the heart behind the commandment. Right? And it's a struggle because we're sexual beings. Right? We're created to crave physical, emotional intimacy. And as we enter the lifelong bond of marriage, well, things don't always go as we had hoped. And sometimes that leaves one or both spouses feeling neglected, either physically or emotionally. And in that vulnerability, a third person comes along. Part of the struggle is also the sexually immoral society that we live in, where we're constantly bombarded with ideas about sexuality that oppose God's perfect will for marriage between one man and one woman. Now, as we think about adultery, we, we have to think about what's at the heart. Like, like what, is, what is the heart of God in this commandment? And we know that while the Lord Jesus was on earth, he took a lot of the Ten Commandments and he elevated them. Right? So, look at what Matthew five twenty seven and 28 says. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Right? We just read that in Exodus 20. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You see, Jesus equals lustful intent of the heart with breaking the commandment. And notice, there's no exception here for boyfriend or girlfriend, or fiancé. Now, at this point, I, I want to provide a warning, right? Because of the nature of this commandment, and in order for me to be faithful to Scripture... I'm going to say things that are going to make you feel uncomfortable. When it comes to our sexuality, as good Christians, uh, there are certain things that sometimes we, we hide in dark closets. And my aim this morning is to shine the light of God's word into a lot of those areas. And as I do that, the Holy Spirit is going to call us to repentance. The temptation at that point is going to be, um, how many excuses we come up with internally as to why this doesn't apply to me or why my unique circumstance is different. I pray that we can allow the Holy Spirit to work in our hearts this morning. If you think adultery is not a problem for the church, unfortunately it is. And if you think that this is a problem just for men, it's not. Right? And if you think to yourself, well, I, I would never do that then you, cannot, you will tend to lower your guard. right? I, I believe that all of us are capable of every sin under the right circumstances. Look at what Galatians 6.1 says. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently, but watch yourselves, but watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. If what we're discussing today, somehow you feel it's not a struggle for you, praise God. But be careful, be watchful. And think of ways that you can keep from being tempted. So this morning what I want to do, I want to first focus mostly on married couples. 
There's still things that would apply to everybody, of course. And then I want to expand the discussion to the lustful intent of the heart that, of course, applies to everybody, even if you're single. So for that, I'm going to spend some time in Proverbs 5. So if you have your Bible, I would ask you to join me in Proverbs chapter 5. We're going to look at some verses. I would encourage you uh, to read the whole chapter at home. And while you're at it, you can read Proverbs 6 and 7. All of them deal with adultery. But we're going to start in Proverbs chapter uh, chapter 5, verses uh, 3 and 4. Proverbs 5, 3 and 4. For the lips of the adulterous woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a double-edged sword. It says the lips of the adulterous woman drip honey. That's supposed to sound nice. It's supposed to be enticing. right? We're sexual beings. It's okay to crave sweet lips and passionate kisses. The difference is that in the order of God, this is done within the covenant of marriage. right? Well, in the world, this is kind of done with whomever, whenever, really. Now, can I say something controversial? It's not supposed to be controversial, but men and women are different. (laughs) Because men and women are different, we have different needs, and we struggle with this sin differently. So in preparing for this message, I read a lot of studies and articles on why people cheat, on, on why people Commit adultery. Let me share with you the top two reasons uh, for, each, for each one. So for men, the number one reason was that the person they cheated with was attractive. Pretty simple, right? Attractive person, makes herself available. Guy falls for that. Kind of like the verse says, because her lips drip honey, right? Because she was appealing, desirable to the eye. The second reason is that they were not having enough sex at home. And we'll touch on that a little more in a little bit. For women, the number one reason was that they felt that their husband had stopped giving them the attention they needed. The other top reason, the second one for women, was that the person they cheated with was there for them. So as you can see, big difference on the reasons, right? For men, it tends to be more physical, while for women, it tends to be more emotional. You have a husband that leaves an emotional void in a wife's life a guy comes along tells her hey your husband doesn't appreciate you i think you're beautiful i think you're amazing and if a woman has not heard that from her husband in a long time that can be very dangerous it's really interesting that verse three addresses both top reasons right verse three says she has the lips that drip honey so the more physical side and also the more emotional aspect in this smooth speech But regardless of which spouse commits adultery, like verse 4 says, the end is going to be the same. Bitterness, pain, and suffering. Let's go down to verses 8 through 10. So we're still in Proverbs 5, verses 8 through 10. Keep your way far from her, and do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your honor to others, And your years to the merciless. Lest strangers take their fill of your strength. And your labor go to the house of a foreigner. It says keep far from her. Keep far from him. Our best defense is going to be distance. Right? 
your best defense is not to put yourself in those situations to begin with. As Christians, we're not called to look for sin to overcome. The longer you stay in the presence or, or engage with evil, the more likely you are to fall. So don't look for excuses to see her. Don't answer her call. Don't reply to her text. Don't stalk her social media account. Keep far from her. Don't lose your honor. Don't, don't kill your testimony. We, t- we tend to look at sexual sin as a way to meet our physical and emotional needs. And sometimes we can even deceive ourselves that somehow we're going to make our lives better or even fix or help our marriage. But, but trust me, there's always consequences when we break the commandments of the Lord. And we end up paying dearly for our mistakes. Look at verse 10. It says, Lest strangers take their fill of your strength, and your labor go to the house of a foreigner. I'm confident that in our circles, we've seen more than one example of a family losing their wealth because of adultery. Right? In our modern world, what does adultery lead to? It leads to divorce. It leads to alimony. It leads to child support. It leads to broken homes. It leads to hurt. And not just for the couple, but for the children as well. It leads to jealousy. Adultery leads to lonely people. It can lead to abortions, to STDs. You know, we have mentioned throughout the series that when it comes to the Ten Commandments, uh, the first four have to do with how we relate to God, how we love God, and the remaining six have to do with how we love one another, our neighbors. In our incredible selfishness, we can think that the Seventh Commandment, it's more between me and God, without thinking of all the pain that it brings to our spouses, to our children, to our family, and to our friends. And as believers, the damage that it can bring to the testimony of the church and ultimately to Christ. Adultery is an incredibly selfish act because we sin not just against God, but against those closest to us. Now, as we continue in Proverbs 5, Solomon also provides some preventive measures. He gives us some instructions for for barriers we can set up to help keep us from adultery. So look at verse 15. So we're still in Proverbs 5. We'll read verse 15 and then 18 and 19. So verse 15 says... Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. And then verse 18, let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. A lovely deer, a graceful doe, let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. So the water in these verses is referencing our sexual thirst. A very practical way to paraphrase verse 15 will be have sex with your own wife. You know, it's not evil to have sexual desires. Sex is a gift from God. And not just for procreation, but for our enjoyment. Now, marriage, of course, is an institution that God has created for this purpose. So, husband, rejoice in your wife. Wife, rejoice in your husband. Do you know that you have a say in what you rejoice over by choosing where you focus your affections? And this will be a great daily prayer. If anybody's married here, every day you should be praying, Lord, help me to rejoice in my spouse. Lord, help me to remain intoxicated always in her love. That's one of my uh, the daily things I pray for. It doesn't always come naturally. 
It doesn't always come easy. You know, we can get a little shy when it comes to some of these subjects. But the Bible is not shy about addressing the importance of sex in a marriage. Uh, look at what 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 2 through 5 says. And this is from the New Living Translation. But because, there's a reason, but because there is so much sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman should have her own husband. The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations. Let me repeat that again just in case. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations. Unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time. So you can give yourself more completely to prayer. Afterward, you should come together again. So there's a purpose. So that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. This is a really important passage for us to understand and to apply. Right? Paul is not saying that the only reason we should get married, or even the most important reason we should get married, is just to have sex. That's, that's not what he's saying. He's actually addressing some incorrect ideas in the Corinthian church. Namely, there was one going around that sexual relations of any kind, even in marriage, uh, should be avoided. Like somehow the idea was if, that if you didn't have sex, that made you holier. And so Paul is addressing those incorrect ideas. And guided by the Holy Spirit, he gives us a command in verse 5. Right? Do not deprive one another. Many of us don't understand that this is a command from the Lord for our marriages. So unless you're not having sex because you are in a time of fasting and praying, which I'm sure is the reason why that happens, then we are in disobedience. Right? And furthermore, we're opening the door for Satan to tempt us. To tempt us or our spouses. So I say again, do not deprive one another. Now, I love verses 3 and 4 because they give context to the command. And it's always about context. Verse 3 says, The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs, and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. This is done in mutual submission. Now, why do I emphasize verses 3 and 4? Because unfortunately, for a lot of men, the concept of sex is developed by watching pornography. Where everything revolves around the man. So men, we are commanded in marriage to fulfill each other's sexual needs. This is a two-way street. Now, I, I also want to acknowledge, though, that this passage has been incorrectly used and abused by men to pressure their wives. So I, I want to clarify that the command in chapter 7 that we just read to not deprive one another should be understood in the context of the whole letter, right? And we know that in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul takes some time to talk about love, the kind of love that should be seen in a church, especially in a family, and especially between the husband and wife. So look at what 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 and 5 says. Love is patient and kind, Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. This passage is read a lot of times in weddings. And unfortunately, a lot of times it stays in weddings. 
our command to love one another in this way needs to follow us in our marriage. You know, we mentioned earlier the top reasons why people fall into this sin. And we talked about how there was one more physical, right? So immediately a lot of guys would jump to chapter 7 verse 5 and say, do not deprive one another. That's my life verse, you know? And that, that's fine. But let's not forget the commandment in chapter 13 to love one another, right? We talked about how there's a need also, especially in women, for the emotional connection. So chapter 13, the verses we just read, that's a great checklist, right? If you feel like there's not a lot of sex going on in your marriage, well, maybe use 13 as a checklist. Are you being patient? Are you being kind? Are you giving the type of love without boasting? Or are you constantly boasting about the things you do for the other person? Or the things you stopped or gave up for that person? Are we being arrogant and rude to one another? Are we insisting in our ways when we argue? Or are we looking to edify one another? Are we being resentful? So the point I'm trying to make is that in a marriage, intimacy should never be withheld. But also it should never be forced. Now, let's, let's expand our discussion, right? We read at the beginning, Matthew 5, 27 and 28, that said, when Jesus said that if you look at a woman with lustful intent, you've already committed adultery in your heart. So in order for us to understand that, we need to know what lustful intent means, right? Like, what is lust? Well, lust is translated from the Greek word epithumeo. And epithumeo means to long for, to set your heart on, to desire, to covet. And in the New Testament, lust is used almost exclusively in reference to sexual immorality. Now, when I say sexual immorality, I'm using that as an umbrella term, right? To include all sexual expressions outside of marriage between one man and one woman. So specifically, what am I talking about? Well, that would include things like pornography. That would include things like sex before marriage. Uh, that would include things like homosexuality. Uh, that would include things like sex... In marriage with someone other than your spouse. But if we really want to get to the heart of the commandment. Then we have to be very careful. What we're allowing in our lives as influences. Right? From friendships. uh, To things that we listen to. Music. To things we watch. Entertainment. Now I know when a pastor says. Careful with entertainment choices. That can be a little annoying. Right? Look at what Ephesians uh, 5.3 says. It says, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. It says no form of sexual immorality should even be named among us. We are the saints of the Lord. And I understand that this is especially difficult because we live in what many consider to be a new sexual revolution. Right? Where everything I just listed is considered good. And not just good, but we're expected to celebrate it. And, and so entertainment is saturated with sexual representations that oppose God's will for the family. And this is not just entertainment. This is literature in, in libraries, in our schools. Do you know that the average age children are exposed to pornography is now eight years old? It's now the norm to live together before you get married? I shouldn't even say before you get married because that's not even the goal most of the times. The LGBTQ agenda 
and its influence continues to grow in our communities and our schools. We continually hear more about open marriages, polyamorous relationships. So my point is that we're bombarded constantly by various forms of sexual immorality. But unfortunately, we are too often buying into that. That goes back to the previous point. If we are surrounding ourselves by these things constantly, then it starts shaping and molding the way we think and view our sexuality. So I want to be as practical as possible. Let me give you a common scenario for men and a common scenario for women on how you can encounter and fall in in this sin. Right? So if you're a guy, you're browsing through your phone or tablet, whatever electronic you use, and you're browsing through your choice of entertainment, whether that's Netflix or YouTube or social media, you know, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or if you're younger, TikTok, um, you're browsing through one of these and you come across content that has some sensuality. Um, and you reason that, well, it's not that bad. You know, I'm really here for the humor or whatever other excuse you come up with, right? And so you plant that seed of sexual immorality in your heart and you watch that. Well, that seed is going to start growing, Right? When we define lust, we said that that's the desire or the, to long for. And so you start longing for more of that content. So you start looking at similar content or things are getting worse and worse. And for a lot of men, that eventually leads to falling in pornography. You know, I've, I've talked to a lot of men who struggle with pornography. And some single men think that marriage is the answer to that addiction. Let me tell you something. If you make a habit of watching porn when you're single, you're going to continue to watch porn when you're married. And that's a poison that you don't want in your marriage. Now, let me give you a common scenario for women. Right? You're a woman that loves the Lord, and you're single, and you long to marry a man that loves the Lord above all things. A man that's going to love you like Christ loved the church. But after a while, it's not that many of those at church. Right? And so you kind of settle. And now you're willing to go out with somebody that, that is willing to come to church with you. And that man pushes your physical boundaries. Or boundaries you thought you had. Uh, but the fear of, be alone, of being alone is greater. You know, I've seen both of these scenarios and different variations of it. Time after time. When I say this, though, I, I want to make sure that you understand I'm not trying to be holier than thou. I'm, I'm not trying to point down the finger. Like I mentioned at the beginning, I came to Christ when I was, when I was 16. So as you can imagine, I've struggled with this command myself. I, I've fallen and I've confessed, received forgiveness and fallen and confess and received forgiveness. This is a struggle for all of us. But, but I have to wonder if part of the problem is also our perception of sexual sin. I'm afraid a lot of us look at sexual immorality and we don't really take it seriously. Right? And that becomes evident from a statistic like the one we mentioned at the beginning where in a website that's literally designed to have extramarital affairs, 70% of users are Christians. So... Does God take this sin seriously? Let's look at a couple of verses. 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Do not be deceived. No sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, male prostitutes, homosexuals, 
will inherit the kingdom of God. And Matthew 5, 29 and 30, this is Jesus right after he said that if you look at a woman with lustful intent, you commit adultery. He says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body going to hell. So Jesus seems to take the issue of lustful intent in the heart very seriously. Now, of course, he's not calling us to literally mutilate our bodies, right? If that was the case, you would see a lot of men here without eyes and hands. <laughs> Jesus is using a figure of speech to show that we must be willing to be extreme in our fight with sin. Obedience requires sacrifice. Let me repeat that. Obedience requires sacrifice. The question for us is really how serious are we taking God's command for sexual purity? How far are we willing to go to be obedient in this area? I feel like the American Christian culture, to a certain extent, we have replaced the commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery, with a simple, don't have sex before marriage. Or if you're married, you don't have sex with someone else. And don't get me wrong, of course, those are good uh, convictions to have. But if that's all there is to it, then I'm afraid that we as crafty, sinful creatures, we can get very creative of all the things we can do without technically breaking that conviction. You know, I've had uh, co-workers mock Christian friends who they label as everything but Christians. Because they're willing to do a lot of things except this one thing. And they can, we completely miss the heart of the commandment. Right? So we need more. We need a stronger foundation. So what am I suggesting? Our goal, whether you're married or single, our goal should be sexual purity. Physically and especially, of course, in our hearts. Look at what 1 Corinthians 6.18 says. Flee from sexual immorality. And 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 to 5. For this is God's will, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, so that each of you knows how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not with lustful desires like the Gentiles who don't know God. A heart full of sexual, of lustful desires should only belong to Gentiles who don't know God. You know, sometimes we over-spiritualize the idea of God's will and we'll wonder, what's God's will for my life? Right? And of course, there's a lot of ways you can answer that, but here's one answer. God's will for you is your sanctification and that you abstain from sexual immorality. And see, understanding God's will completely changes the conversation, right? Because it's no longer uh, about, well, don't just have sex before marriage or you know, don't have sex if you're married with someone else. It, it really gets to the heart of things, right? And when it comes to our sexuality, all of us together can say, God's will for me is my sanctification. Sanctification meaning that I'm set apart from the world, that there's less and less sin in my life, in my heart. That I look more and more like Jesus every day. Never getting to perfection in this life. We understand that. 
It's a life of fleeing and pursuing, right? Fleeing sexual immorality and pursuing sexual purity. It's a life of focusing, how can I love God and how can I love others? And my prayer for our congregation is that we let the word of God shape our view of sexuality instead of the world. Let's remember what Paul says, the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The Apostle Paul has sent us to not conform to the pattern of this world. Don't buy what the world is selling. Allow the word of God to transform your mind. Now, friends, this is only going to happen if we take the time to read it. If we take the time to understand it. If we take the steps to apply it and to teach it to others, especially to our children. Abiding in God's word transforms our mind. It transforms the way we think and ultimately transforms the way we act. In kind of closing this conversation, I, I just want to mention that I did not include, of course, all forms of sexual immorality. Uh, there's, there's, there's so many more things like emotional affairs or some of the newer ones like virtual encounters, which I'm not sure what that means. But don't think that just because it wasn't mentioned that, that somehow it's okay, of course. And I also want to clarify that although there are things we can do in love for one another to help us not fall... Ultimately, everyone is responsible for their own sin. And that leads me to, to the last point I want to make. And that is that hopefully by now you realize that all of us have broken the seventh commandment. Whether physically or in our hearts. And someone who breaks the seventh commandment is usually called an adulterer. And do you know what the law said should happen to adulterous people. Deuteronomy 22.22. If a man is found sleeping with another man's wife. Both the man who slept with her and the woman must die. You must purge the evil from Israel. The law called for those who commit adultery. To be dragged out of town and killed. And although you and I stood guilty before a holy God. Because of his great love, because of his great mercy, he took the punishment for us. You see, it was Jesus who was dragged out of town and killed in our place. So if you've broken this commandment, I, I want you to know that you can find forgiveness in Christ. Right? He died and rose again so that you don't have to live as a slave to sin. And you see, that, that's the beauty of the gospel. That the guilty can be made innocent because the innocent one, the righteous one, Jesus Christ, died in our place. But the same gospel that saves us, it calls us to action. Right? Jesus didn't live the perfect life just to save you. 
He also did it to empower you as a believer to walk as he did. To follow in his footsteps. Look at what John 17, 19 says. And this is Jesus praying to the Father. He says, and for their sakes, and that's us, for our sake. He says, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth. I think sometimes we forget that Jesus was tempted in every way we are tempted. But yet he chose to sanctify himself. And he did that for our sake. To empower us to do the same. So that we may also be sanctified by the truth. And that's his word. Last verse I'll share today. Galatians 2.20. says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Who loved me and gave himself for me. So you see, if you're, if you're here today, and even if you come to church for a long time, you realize that you've never really surrendered to the Lord. That's the beauty of the gospel. It forgives your sins, and it welcomes you home. But that same gospel also confronts believers to live in holiness. To think about the things, the influences we're allowing in our lives, the choices we're making. Again, Jesus' life, death, and resurrection didn't just buy forgiveness for our sins. It also empowers us to walk as he did. Pray with me, church. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your sacrifice. Lord, I, I pray for sexual purity over this congregation, Lord, both physically and in our hearts. And we understand, Lord, that, that we can't do this on our own. You know, Christianity is not a religion of morality uh, as we pursue these virtues. Lord, this has to be a work of your Holy Spirit. So I pray that you bring conviction, that you very clearly show each person listening, whether here or online, Lord, what areas have they opened up in this, in, in this sin, Lord. Bring us to repentance and sanctify us by your truth. Lord, help us to lead a life of sexual purity. Help us to understand your will for us which is sanctification, and that we abstain from all sexual immorality. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, if the Holy Spirit touched your heart, and this is you wanting to turn your life over to Christ, then I would invite you that once we're done here, to walk down the doors here in the middle, and there's a desk with folks waiting to talk to you. Also in that desk, if you visited for a couple times, and you want more information on the church, or if you want to... Um, ask about baptism or life group or how you can get connected. That's the same desk. If it's your first time visiting, sorry, you visited today. Um, <laughs> but hey, God is in control, right? God is in control. He knows what we need to hear sometimes. But if it's your first time visiting, we do have a gift for you. Um, so make sure you stop by that same desk. Uh, last thing I want to say, though, is that for any Christians here today that find themselves struggling uh, with this sin, right? Any of the areas of sexual morality that I mentioned, whether it's pornography or you have started an affair or have, you know, been engaged in an affair for a amount of time and, and you want victory over this sin, I want to encourage you to text uh, WIN, and we're going to put the number there, to 844-504-1002. Uh, by texting that, what will happen is that we will contact you, a member of our staff, 
will uh, confidentially reach out to you and whether point you in the right direction for resources, support groups, or just pray with you, or if you need to talk to somebody, uh, just know that you're not alone and there's resources out there. Okay? So hopefully you're encouraged uh, this morning. And I would just encourage you, again, to pursue, pursue sexual purity. All right, church. Have a blessed week.